our job as preachers is not merely to disseminate biblical information. You don't, mm. you don't, you don't want to create biblically literate slaves to sin. Wow. You don't want to create people whose Bibles are all marked up and who have uh, worksheets with lots of notes from outlines where they took sermons, but they're jerks. They're bad husbands, bad wives. They're terrible bosses, right? You, you, that's not what Jesus wants. It's not just a, that's not what you don't want as a preacher. That's not what Jesus wants. Uh, Jesus specifically says, Matthew 28, Great Commission, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Okay. Obey everything that I have commanded you. Not know, not be smart, not win at Bible trivia, but to obey. And so, and Paul there in the passage I quoted in the session, you know, that, that's his goal. He yeah. wants to present every person mature in Christ. And so, so as preachers, we can slip easily into, well, I just, I just got to give them the biblical information. Right. No, you don't. Yeah. You want to do more than that. You want to help them become mature in Christ. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 258. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. Thanks for listening. I know that there's a lot of things that are vying for your attention, and thanks for listening to this podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, the voice that you just heard is that of Dr. John Whitaker. John was on the podcast last week. Uh, last week, you could hear him give kind of a, a main session address or a talk in Boise, Idaho at our last training event. And he spoke about the need for preachers to not just communicate Bible truths in abstractions to a generalized somebody, but how to actually preach with clarity to the real life people who are actually in front of you. And I hope that you've listened to that one, or if you haven't yet, that you go back and listen to it. It's a very encouraging and uh, potentially a ministry-changing uh, set of concepts or ideas. Well, later that evening, I got a chance to sit and to speak with John and kind of ask some further questions about those concepts, but then also to get to know him as a person. And I really enjoyed speaking to him, and I imagine that you're really going to enjoy listening in on this conversation. Hey, speaking of conversation, just want to say here, um, we have a, a private Facebook community. If you are still on Facebook, uh, you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash expositors collective. And there's a group of about almost 500 of us. And we talk about the episodes, we ask questions, we get answers and advice. And if you would like to join us to talk about preaching or homiletics or anything related to personal study or public proclamation of God's word, uh, you can find us there. We also have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter presences as well. If you'd like daily encouragements with quotes from those that have come before us or that are contemporary voices encouraging you in the preaching calling that God has called us to. Well, anyway, here's my conversation with Dr. John Whitaker about how every sermon needs to have a purpose and a point. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm with John Whitaker and we're in Boise, Idaho. Hi, good evening. Hey, thanks for having me here. 
Yeah, well, thank you for having me here. <laughs> I am in your home turf. That, I'm I'm in Boise. That is true. And thanks for coming all the way from Ireland to be here. Glad so. to be here. So we just have finished up uh, day one of the Expositors Collective Boise. I am super tired. It's been a <laughs> long, long, long fruitful day, huh? Yes, it has. It's been good. It's been a lot of fun. And I'm sure for you with jet lag and flying over here and everything else, yes, I'm sure you're exhausted. Well, yeah, I am. But, however, it's kind of gotten like better and better. It's like on a, um, I don't know what the graph is, that, that rises. Okay. Because you just talked. <laughs> you just uh, talked about homiletics and really knocked it out of the park. Well, well I appreciate that. It, it was fun. I'm glad you allowed me to be a part of this. So, yeah. thank you. So, the plan is, so this episode is probably going to come out the week after the actual episode is. So um, people will have just heard last week. I'm sure the faithful listeners of the podcast don't miss a single episode. And so I know <laughs> that they've heard you last week and have been dying to find out more about you. So I want to ask you what everyone's wondering. John, what was your first sermon like? Uh, so, uh, so I'm 53, to give you a little bit of context. I'm 53. I preached my first sermon on Easter Sunday in 1985. Okay. I was 15 years old, 16, right in there. It's a teenager at any rate. Um, and it was a sunrise service on Easter. The preacher at the church uh, knew I was thinking about going into ministry, so he just took the opportunity to say, here, preach a sermon. Yeah. And uh, he he spent a couple weeks. He, he picks the text for me, which was helpful. Yeah. And then he showed me how he writes sermon and had me kind of write a sermon in his model. And so I had the whole sermon in front of me. So the day of sunrise service... Easter Sunday, 15-year-old kid. I go up there. I'm this shy, bashful kid. I mentioned it in the session that I just, right? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I uh, avoid public speaking, but now I feel like the Lord has called me to ministry, so I'm going to do this. I was so blooming nervous. Mm -hmm. Like, I was, like, totally scared spitless that I had about, um, I had at least 20 minutes worth of material prepared. I spoke so fast that I got the whole thing done in seven minutes. So the sunrise <laughs> service on Easter Sunday was a whopping seven minutes long, and then we all went to breakfast. So you know, uh, wow. Okay, and 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 you ended, and then it was what? Just like I let's, just ended, and let's that's that. But sing a hymn. I I don't even remember what they did after that. Man, I was just like I was I was like blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, how how did you feel afterwards? So I know you were nervous before, probably yep. nervous during, yep. and then afterwards. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't really remember okay. how I felt. My okay. guess is just happy to have survived. Yeah. Yeah. Now the good the good thing is is that same preacher didn't just write me off <laughs> as a result of that, and so that was that was a. Uh, it was like my junior year of high school or yeah. sophomore year of high school. So over the next year or two of high school, he had me preach multiple other times before. Really? I, yeah. And, uh. and kept working with me and kept encouraging me and then uh, sent me off to Bible college. And so, you know, he was gracious and and, that, and I appreciate that. He gave me a chance to uh, struggle and fall and find my way forward. Yeah. What's, what's his name? Don Robinson. Yeah. Let's honor that man. That's, <laughs> that's, that's great. That's yeah. really great. And so... You started off with like so I guess some real pacing issues. Yep. Um, what are some other th bad habits that you used to have that mm. you've grown out of, or grown out of implies that it's kind of a natural process. Yeah. But it's not. What are some things that you've put work into improving? Yeah. Uh, so the pacing, obviously, speaking too fast, and along with that, obviously, the pausing. Okay. So I I had to learn to pause. And anybody who's done any public speaking knows that, you know, a 
one second pause while you're on stage feels like four seconds and you really need about a three or four second pause, right? So you have to mm. learn, you have to force yourself. So I listened to a lot of my own sermons that like, gee, I thought I paused, but there weren't any pauses in there. <laughs> yeah. So I listened to quite a few sermons to, of my own to figure out, oh, wow, so I can be much more deliberate and intentional about pausing. So that was, that's one thing. Um, Before you move on to the next thing, yeah. how, how did you learn how to pause? Like what, what, what does deliberate intentional growth in pausing yeah. entail? Uh, well, just listening to myself, let me be aware that what I thought were pauses yes. actually weren't. Yeah. So becoming mindful of it through that was really helpful. Uh, but then um, I actually began to almost like practice. Like at this stage, I don't really rehearse too much before I preach. I think things through, I write things out, but I don't rehearse nearly as much. There might be parts, but Back then, I used to rehearse a lot more, and I would mentally count to three seconds in my mind, three yeah. or four, so that what was three or four in practice would be one or two in live, you know? Yeah. So that, that was one little thing I did, just to be really intentional about that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just want to— Yeah. I just want the listeners to, like, to, to not just learn that they should pause, yeah. but maybe even how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's, that's good. So and, that's one of the ways. Yeah. What, what, what else? Yeah. Another, another thing that I— uh, I became really aware of was um, this, this is hopefully this isn't t- TMI. Uh, oh, let's I, go there. <laughs> I it's almost like I have a perpetual tickle in my throat. And I think it's from allergies and drainage. So then I would end up clearing my throat. So that became my default, you know, verbal pause. Right, a lot of people um uh for me it was. <clears throat> Well, that's really – it was so unconscious because yeah. it was just clearing my throat because I had all this, this like permanent drainage or tickle in my throat or something, right? So I didn't even know I did it until my wife started pointing it out to me. Okay. And, you know, wives. They're great. <laughs> They're great at it. They're great. Yeah, so she pointed out and, and she'd tell me it was annoying. And I'm like, well, crud, I don't want, want to be annoying while I'm preaching, right? Yeah. So, again, same thing. Listen to myself, realize she's right. <laughs> Uh, but that one was has been really hard. I don't think I've totally solved that one because it's it's a physiological sure. thing as well as a public speaking issue. And so I, I but doing more this stuff, podcasting, has made me much more aware of my need for vocal control. Got it. And that has transferred to okay. I'm more just just mindful of what I'm doing with my voice when I'm I'm speaking. All right. So two voice-related things. What about content? Yeah. How have you – now, I know that you've put a lot of work and even formal education into, like, improving your understanding of, like, A, the Bible, but then, B, like, communicating the Bible well or communicating to people yeah. about the Bible yeah. well. What, what has been, like, your, your, your growth progress and, like, becoming more familiar with, like, the Bible itself and having something worth communicating? Yeah. Um, so – I mean, obviously, the Bible. I mean, that, that has been a lifelong endeavor just to be a person of the book, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, when I became a follower of Jesus in 1984, so just a, probably six, seven months before I preached that first sermon, actually. Yeah, wow. Um, I, the the preacher's wife at that same church had these silly little worksheets. She called Lesson for New Christians. They were silly because they had dot to dots on them, they had fill in the blanks, yeah. right? But she would give you like three or four a week, and they would read through a chapter. And you would fill in blanks. You would answer a few questions. You would do the dot to dot. And then you would give those three. So from the beginning of my following of Jesus, she got me in the habit of reading the Bible. So in my three years as as a high school student, I read through the entire New Testament at least 10 times. 
and the whole Bible three or four times as a high school student. And then I went to Bible college, studied the Bible, right, and all that. And so, I, but I've always read the Bible on my own. So I want to be full of the text of Scripture. So content-wise, studying the Bible, reading the Bible, praying through the Bible, that's been huge for my whole following of Jesus. So the Bible side, that's that. Preaching side, it has been the communicating to people mm-hmm. and becoming mindful of all the different kinds of people in the room when you preach. Uh, phys- physical ages, you know, you got teens and you got 80-somethings, right, and everything in between, as well as spiritual stages, new believers, mature believers, growing believers, maybe people who are searching, but they're not quite believers yet. You got all... So being mindful of that and then becoming aware of, okay, so where does this text intersect with their life? Yeah. And then using that to... The supporting material and illustrations, that did not come natural. I had to work hard at that, and that's one of the ways I did that was just becoming little life experience, but be, listening to a lot of people, talking to people, being aware of who's in the room. Yeah. And then letting the text suggest illustrations. The imagery of the text becomes the imagery of the sermon. Um, that has been really helpful to me, to letting the text itself generate illustrations, imagery, analogies, pictures I might put up on the screen, so that when they remember the illustration, they might remember the text itself. Yeah. What do you mean the, the images in the text create the illustrations that you use. Yeah, yeah. Let me give you an example. How about that? Philippians chapter 3. Um, whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I count all things to be lost and be the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And I count those things as rubbish. So the word rubbish. Mm-hmm. Uh, scubala in Greek, yeah. right? It's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great word. And so, well, what are some of the things that that word was used of? What well, was used of rotting fruit or rotting food? Or in our context, it might be used of if you've ever had to use the outhouse when you're camping or whatever else. What's in the bottom of the outhouse, right? That's imagery that you can use for your sermon. Like Paul's saying, compared to knowing Jesus, all the stuff in life that's even good is like rotting grapes in the back of your fridge that you forgot about. Mm. Compared to knowing Jesus, Mm. even all the good stuff in life is like, oh, I made the mistake of looking down the hole in the outhouse, imagery from the text that now becomes imagery in the sermon. Wow. Yeah, it's it's from the text. You you've taken you've taken that, I don't know, interesting word study um, and used it in a vivid way that can okay. Yeah. Next time I look down an outhouse, I'm gonna think <laughs> Scuba <laughs> law, Philippians three, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Uh, so you mentioned just there, you mentioned that the intersection of like people's lives with, with the passage yeah. and that came across in, in what last Tuesday's episode or, or the, the, the session you just did there. Um, you, you had a pretty provocative statement towards the beginning that you said, it's not about teaching the Bible. And then you let it hang yeah. in one of those pauses. <laughs> it's not about teaching the Bible. It's about teaching people the Bible. Yes. So why uh, why did you think, because you, you only were given like, you know, about 20 minutes and you had one thing to say. I know you could say a lot of stuff about homiletics. It's a huge, giant discipline. And I know that you have a lot of experience doing it and teaching about it. Why did you think that was what needed to be emphasized? Yeah. Um, praying about, after you asked me to speak that topic, just praying it through, thinking about sermons, thinking about my own journey as a preacher. Yeah. Um, 
I, to me, that's just critical. Um, our job as preachers is not merely to disseminate biblical information. You, mm. don't, you, don't, you don't want to create biblically literate slaves to sin. Wow. You don't, want to, you don't want to create people whose Bibles are all marked up and who have uh, worksheets with lots of notes from outlines where they took sermons, but they're jerks, right? They're bad husbands, bad wives. They're terrible bosses, right? You, you, that's, that's not what Jesus wants. It's not just that's not what you don't want as a preacher. That's not what Jesus wants. Uh, Jesus specifically says, Matthew 28, Great Commission, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Okay. Obey everything that I have commanded you. Not no, not be smart, not win at Bible trivia, but to obey. And so, and Paul there in the passage I quoted in the session, you know, that's his goal. He yeah. wants to present every person mature in Christ. And so, so as preachers, we can slip easily into, well, I just, I just got to give them the biblical information. Right. No, you don't. Yeah. You want to do more than that. You want to help them become mature in Christ. Yeah. You know, that what, what you're saying there, it reminds me of this like kind of provocative statement from Haddon Robinson, and I, I'm, I might butcher it, but he kind of approaches it from a different way. He says that like people don't, nobody comes to church wanting to learn about the Bible. Like people come to church and they hope that you're going to talk to them about themselves. Yeah. Um, and and I like, that's pretty provocative. And I, I might be misquoting it, but he's like, Nobody, nobody comes to church wondering about like the Amalekites. Nobody comes to church wondering about the the fifth seal or the the, <laughs> the fourth jug in Revelation. Like people are concerned about like their kids getting bullied at school, you know, or their their sex life is unsatisfying, and they they were promised you know this and that, and and um, you know the mortgage is you know they're concerned about those kind of things, and we have to address those. We don't address those individual things, but we, we address like the, 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 the fallen condition focus, the, the yeah. human uh, emotions and lives that are present in the room. Yep. yep. And, and then we show how that fifth seal or that seventh trumpet or whatever, like actually has impact onto like the, the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of that life. Right. And that's a challenge when we're talking expositional preaching, yeah. right? Expositors collective. When we're talking expositional preaching, that's, that's a challenge because you're going through the text, which is why I think some preachers do default more towards topical preaching. Yeah. Let's right. So it can be a challenge unless we remember that our goal is to talk about people's lives from the Bible. Yeah. So yeah. as we go through the text, how does this speak to people's lives? How does this encourage? How does this strengthen? How does this point them towards Jesus? How does this help them, right? Like t- talk about people's lives from this text. Don't just talk about the text. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you did that well just a few moments ago. And yeah, hopefully that's something that can be an inspiration to, to many to, to say, hey, listen, the, the task of explaining this passage, that's part of my task. But I also want to like love people through this passage. Yeah. And yeah, and and I had a great conversation earlier on in this podcast um, with uh, Brian Chapel, and he was talking about the importance of pastoral care, pastoral love, and he even said that like Christ-centered preaching is important, but like loving your people needs to even take precedence over that, or that that kind of preaching is valuable in so much as it's a pastoral act of love towards the people. Yeah, Tim Keller. Who you guys have talked about before, right? Let's just, let's just name every <laughs> famous. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Throw them all in. Yeah. But Tim Keller, you know, he talks about his two different preaching experiences when he was at a small church in New Hampshire and then a large church in New York City. And, and when he was at the small church in New Hampshire, what he says is, my pastoral care set up my preaching. Mm. Mm. When he says large church in New York City, he says, my preaching set up my pastoral care. 
Um, and both of those are you need both those components, yeah. right? And the difference was you're in a large church, people, they get to know you through your preaching, then they trust you. But in the small church, they get to know you because you're in their home, you come over to dinner, and now they'll listen to your preaching. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. both of those go together, but it's it's being a real person who cares about real people in the context of both preaching and pastoral care. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and then I think what you're implying, but just to say it explicitly, is that even that act of preaching can be an act of, of pastoral care. Yep. It's it's not the same as visiting somebody in the hospital. No. But like but that's the same impulse that can bring you into the the hospital ward to visit that woman or that man can also be present as you're writing out that sermon. Yeah. And you could think how can I be of service to these people? Yep. And and again, their deepest need isn't to understand the chronology of Ezra and Nehemiah. Like right. their deepest need is to have an encounter with God and to know that like he's real and he loves and he cares. And a hospital visit or a sermon can communicate those things. Yes, yeah, very much so. That's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, this is not, I hope nobody listens to this and thinks, oh good, I don't have to do hospital visits <laughs> anymore. It's it's both and, my brother. Yeah, yeah. And and it's important to, you can't, as your church grows, you can't, you can't maybe do a hospital visit for everybody, yeah. right? But you still should do some hospital visits for somebody, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you need to be in touch with real people in real lives so that when you preach, you can talk about people's lives from the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, I loved how you spoke about how uh, sermons need to have a point and a purpose. Now, I'll just, I'll just admit, in my early years of Bible teaching, and maybe maybe yours or maybe not, but I'll just, I'll just admit mine, I don't think my, er, my first five, 10 years of sermons had either points nor purposes, you know, <laughs> or, or I could say the point and purpose is to exegete Romans four, right. Followed by exegeting Romans five, right. you know, just, yeah. just teach them the thing, you know, yeah. I, you know, I, I had this strange experience of attending Bible college. And then basically after graduating Bible college, I was essentially pastoring a church straight away. Um, without a whole lot of, yeah, mentorship, onboarding, training, right. I, you know, it was just like jump right in. Yeah, it was like, well, you sat through those classes, so just go do classes somewhere else. Yeah, and um, learning, I suppose, that like that's good for Bible college. It's not the same yeah. as pastoral preaching. Yeah, no, and I, I, unfortunately, that's often the case. Yeah, and what. You know, you go to Bible college and it's impactful to you yeah. for a variety of reasons, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so now you think, oh, yeah. it, it worked for me, <laughs> right? And so then you just go and replicate that same thing in the church and yep. you're like, oh, wait a second. This is a different context mm-hmm. and a different experience and it needs a different approach. And so, no, I do think that's, that. you know, I, I currently adjunct. I'm teaching Second Corinthians as an adjunct professor at Bible college, right? We teach through text. Now, I st- I'm a firm enough believer in a point and a purpose that even my lectures through text as a yeah. Bible college professor still have a point and a purpose. Yeah. But it is different than in a sermon. And, yeah. I, you know, and you approach it differently. Even my listener's commentary, um, it's not like a sermon. I, I don't have all the entrapments of a sermon with a clear, but there's always a direction we're heading, but it's not nearly as tight as a sermon because a sermon is different. It's just a different experience. Um, there's often not as much time for question and answer. You got to engage the people. And again, they're coming. Who knows what happened on the way there, yeah. right? Did they have an argument in the car on the way there? Uh, did you know they have to change the kid's clothes because he spilt all his juice out of his sippy cup all over him and now they're stressed and they're going to be late and they don't like to be late? Or they're trying to 
check their kid in at kid check, right? And she threw a fit because she was afraid to go to class today. And now you don't, you don't know how people are going to come into the auditorium. And so uh, that's just a totally different experience. And so you have to be prepared to engage people and bring them along, as well as the fact you've been thinking about whatever passage you're going to preach on yeah. all week. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You've been thinking about it, meditating on praying through it. God's been speaking to you through it, right? You've been challenged by it. And they haven't been thinking about it at all. Yeah. And so you got to warm them up yeah. before you can give it to them. A and, bit. And, and that's fine. It's fine that they haven't been thinking yeah, about your exactly. passage all week long, no, you know? Like, exactly. Yeah, that's that's fine. It's life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like the the maybe some of them read the Bible a few times that's like good for them. Right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah, that's that's the reality. And so yeah, we're we're so enthused by it. And and they're not. Yeah. It took us a whole week. It took us a whole week to get excited about it. Yeah. So why should we expect that upon the first hearing they'll match our enthusiasm? Yeah. Unless we show them, yeah, a, a purpose and a point. Right. And and intersect their lives with what's going on. Exactly. Yep. Um, okay. I was going to ask, um, like, how are you trying to help the next generation of preachers to get better at this? Okay. You've kind of mentioned it a little bit with your adjunct professoring, but like, how are, is that, is that it? Or how yeah. are you trying to make things better? Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah, I do teach some adjunct professoring, uh, trying to provide some resources, mm-hmm. some like my listeners commentary that people can use that I hope are really helpful and down to earth. So that is a resource that people can use. And I know like Tucker here at Calvary Boise uses that on a regular basis. And they're going through Mark. He listens to it. That's helping him write his sermons. But in addition to that, like Tucker himself, he's the preacher here where we're attending now, and he and I meet pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, long-range sermon planning, because that wasn't a, a strength of Tucker's. <laughs> and so, like, he didn't have a sermon calendar at all. Well, that that takes so much pressure off when you know, oh, next week is this and next week is that, yeah. right? right? So uh, he's now learning how to long-range plan. Um, and then uh, specific sermons. I'll give feedback on specific sermons, yeah. coaching on specific sermons. He wants to formalize that a little bit more and have me work with him and maybe a little bit of a, a sermon team here, right? So pouring into him and some other younger up-and-coming communicators here and just mentoring them a little bit. And that I think that's important. Wow. Oh, that's great. What, okay, what sort of, and don't, don't throw Tucker under the bus, but like, what are the sorts of feedback and sermon critique that is actually helpful and useful? Yeah. So how can, you know, there's like sermon enthusiasts who are listening to this, you know, how, how can we give and receive feedback in a way that's useful? Yeah. Maybe, maybe focus on giving. Yeah. Since you're the one who's giving it these days. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, well, I'll focus on giving, but in order to give good feedback, you've had to receive good feedback. Mm. Um, and so first you need to be the kind of person who is willing to receive feedback. Great points. Then Great you can, points. Then you can, then you can give it well. Um, the other thing is, is, um, to me, it's just highly relational. Okay. And, and so there's gotta be a trust built up. And there's got to be a, a gentleness, right? Like, to me, this is like one of the places where that, that fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, shows up is in giving feedback. Like, maybe I could, maybe there's four or five things that I think, oh, man, your sermon would have been so much better if. Yeah. But four or five might be too overwhelming. Yeah. Hey, do you want to give me one? <laughs> right. From my opening. Oh. 
Do you want to do it now? <laughs> I did. I, was, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't listen with that with that hat on. Okay. All right. So I didn't listen. All right. Well, I wanted a model that I was willing to yes, receive. Yes, and I appreciate and it. I dodged that bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been happy to do it. But I mean, there is you know, uh, as a, a one who has given a lot of feedback, I intentionally don't always wear that hat. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm but, the same. But um, so the gentleness thing, though. I mean, like. Uh, if there's three or four things, if I can group them together under one one point where I only have to give you one thing, mm-hmm. I think that's way more helpful than listing off all three. Sure. And then if they ask for examples, I can give a few examples. But now yeah. it feels like I'm only giving you one thing. And that I is. really am. Yeah. Right? And so that that fruit of the spirit of gentleness where I'm considerate of you. I don't want to knock you down so that you won't get up. I don't want to hurt you, right? I, I want to help you. So so giving feedback from a heart of gentleness and graciousness, I think, is really important. I also think um, asking questions so that maybe they can self-assess oh. and helping people yeah. figure some things out. Yeah. Like, you know, so if I talk to Tucker, like, and he tells me, well, this is kind of what I'm thinking about for Sunday, I might, and I'm like, I can see a potential problem in yeah. it, right? Yeah. I can ask a question. So yeah. how did you get there? Like, how did you end up at this point? What about this? Yeah. And he starts to think it through. So it's not me telling, it's me coaching and guiding, right? So I think that's really helpful in giving giving good feedback. Um, I also do think there's something to be said for the classic sandwich model. Mm. Positive, critique, positive, you know, particularly when it's after sermon's been preached. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, because all of us who have preached know that your heart's connected to your sermon. So so if if all I do is give negative, I'm I'm stomping on your heart, and I just refuse to do that. You're too important as a person, Mm. and so I refuse to just squash your heart. And so I want to be really sensitive to that. Okay. So to to reflect back, so like there's got to be like the relational connection um, in a spirit of gentleness and... Uh, timed appropriately is that yeah, or uh, timed appropriately, um, and and uh, just considerate of your personhood. So okay. I might ask questions. Yeah, I don't want to give you too much critique at at once or all critique at once, yeah. right? Because I want to be considerate of your personhood. So an anonymous letter in the tithe <laughs> box for you for the preacher to find Sunday afternoon. Is worst case scenario. Yeah, wor- that's that's the perfect <laughs> storm of lack of relationship, lack of gentleness, and yes, poor timing. Poor timing. Yeah, and we've all been there as preachers, and we've had that happen. Uh, actually, no, I haven't gotten any anonymous letters in the oh, tide box. I've got, I've got. I guess I haven't gotten the tide box. I have gotten emails. Yeah, I yeah. have gotten emails. Yeah, and I wasn't sure who that person was. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've I've done that. But. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, last question, and we often end with this question, but so um. Uh, yeah, so John, how are you currently trying to improve? What, what would you like in 12 months to be better at? Yeah. Um, so I'm going I'm to give two things, and they're going to feel – we'll see how they feel. Okay, all right. all right. Two things. One is um, I, I want to preach fully present to the people – and fully dependent on God so that I don't get as nervous or uptight about it. So that's, I'm a natural introvert. Hmm. Being in front of people, right, like was hard for me. I had, yeah. to, I had to learn how to get comfortable with that. Over the years, I've gotten much more comfortable with it. So I've gotten to the point where I want to just be able to stand up with these people who I love in the name of Jesus, who I know Jesus loves, and just be present to them in the power of the Spirit, preach the Word to the best of my ability, and trust God with the outcomes. 
and not be so concerned about how I appear or how, how I come across or what people think or if I did a good job or anything like that, right? So that's one, that's one thing. The other thing is, and it's probably related to that, but I was really convicted here recently. I was, I was in Nashville at a conference, and one of the speakers talked about how easy it is to lose your hunger for God in the, the course of serving God. And I've, I think I've experienced that some over the course of my life in ministry, kind of ebbs and flows. And I'm at the point where it's like, I want to make sure I'm fanning into flame my deep hunger okay. for God wow. so that my preaching flows out of my love for God, my passion for God, my hunger for God. Well, even that language, fanning into flame, you know, I, I automatically wanted to finish the verse, you know, fanning into flame, the gift that's in you. Yes. But, uh, but you're saying that kind of like, well, the gift is there. But what needs to be fanned into flame potentially is the actual love and hunger for God. Yeah. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's a good self-assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll check in with you next year. <laughs> See where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. All right. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you if you give me some sermon feedback, then I'll check in on you about your your heart. <laughs> well, thanks, John. Um, how can people like obviously there'll be a link in the show notes yeah. to the listeners' Bible commentary, but you want to give it a Quick yeah, yeah. audio plug now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm creating this thing called the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. And basically, it's like a written commentary, but in audio fashion yeah. where people can listen to it. So you can find it on your podcast player, whichever one you use. You can find it on Spotify. It's on the Version Bible app if you use that. So you can find it in the podcast section of the Version nice. Bible app. Or you can go to the website, listenerscommentary.com. And uh, on the website, I am creating a Bible study hub to go along with it. So I've got some video courses that on that hub, I'm going to start putting in bonus material beyond the audio. So pictures, maps, charts, word studies, you know, all sorts of stuff. I'm starting to add all that. So to go along with the audio, I'm adding some extra material. So that'll be on the website at listenerscommentary.com as well. So the goal is to provide something that's hopefully super accessible, user-friendly, to help people study the Bible, learn the Bible, follow the Bible. Uh, I like to refer to it as like blue jeans theology, theology for everyday life. So that's what I'm after. So. Yeah, brilliant. Last question. So so what prompted you to do an audio instead of mm-hmm. instead of just write a book? <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I'm a big fan of audio. Yeah. Like, I, I think audio is like <clears throat> the easiest medium. Right. And it's the fastest growing medium online. Okay. And people are now used to listening to audio books. Right? Yeah. That's become a big thing. Yeah. More people listen or watch than read anymore. Mm. Good, bad, or otherwise, yeah. it is a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I'm better at it than writing. <laughs> so put yeah. it all together. Yeah. It's like, and, uh, and so, yeah, that was sort of it. And plus, uh, I just thought, well, we put it on the internet, see what the Lord does with it. And by the grace of God, he's doing some good things. So That's great. Yeah. I, I, I also, I, I don't like writing. Like writing, writing is so hard. Yeah, it's I find it so hard because it's so permanent, you know. Yeah. But like I could, I could talk for hours, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to stop this to make sure that we don't. <laughs> so, all, right. So, all right, all right. So the listeners, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Thanks, John. Thank you. Well, thanks so much to John. I really enjoyed that conversation, and look forward to the next time when our paths cross. Thanks so much to you for listening all the way to the end of this episode. Hey, I hope that you're subscribed because we have some panel discussion audio that's coming. We have a great conversation with Dr. Taylor Turkington uh, speaking about her doctoral work on the book of Habakkuk and how preachers and teachers today can handle the minor prophets with competence and with skill. 
Also, there's an episode coming in a couple weeks time talking about uh, Augustine of Hippo and how his pastoral involvement with his congregation can be an encouragement with us as we look after real people. So I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. 